This morning's scripture reading is found in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. That's page 972 in the Red Pew Bibles. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you to the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. There was a time in history when ancient kings had messages they wanted to convey to their enemies. And the way an ancient king would give a message to his enemy was to designate a spokesman. They called them in Greek a kerux, K-E-R-U-X. That's actually the word from which we get the word preacher in the New Testament. And the kerux was supposed to take the message from the king and faithfully and accurately transmit that message to the enemy. Now, sometimes that didn't work out very well for the Carricks because the enemy didn't like the king's message and the enemy might inflict wrath upon the messenger. But the messenger was understanding of that and his job, his task was to carry the king's message that needs to be heard and deliver it faithfully. And brothers and sisters, our task as the people of God is to deliver the King's message to people who are lost and dying in sin. And not only that, we are not to change the message that the King has given us, not even a little bit. We call the message that God has given us the gospel. The word gospel means good news. And I'd like to give you just an outline to kind of help you think about what the gospel entails. What is this message that God intends for us to carry faithfully to those around us? The gospel has three components to it. The gospel is made up of facts to be believed. Some of you may recognize this outline from a a series of lessons that we did a couple of years ago. Facts to be believed. There are facts that have happened in history and God intends for people to listen and to understand and to believe. The second component of the gospel, there are commands to be obeyed. God wants us to be obedient to the gospel. He is going to punish those who do not obey the gospel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. Obedience to the gospel is essential. And yet the gospel is also comprised of promises to be believed or enjoyed. God has told us some things about our present and our future. He has made promises to us. And the foundation of our faith, the very very bottom line of our faith is we believe because of the facts that God is going to make good on the promises. That what God has done is an indicator of what God will do. And therefore, our task, our responsibility in this world is to hear and to obey the commands that God has given us. Now, listen, 
when we teach our neighbors and our friends. And this month, the challenge is in our evangelism in sync to pray about people that we know that are lost, that need to hear the gospel. Our task in sharing the gospel with others, listen, is not just to share with people the commands. Those are essential, those are important, those cannot be overlooked, but the gospel also entails sharing the facts to be believed and the promises to be enjoyed. Do not assume that just because someone has a religious background that they understand those things. We are faithful messengers of the King. Don't change the message. As a matter of fact, the passage that Kellen just read a moment ago, Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9, it reminds us that there is just one authentic gospel. When we talk about the facts and the commands and the promises, there is only one message that's been given. And as a matter of fact, Paul was writing to his brethren. He said, I'm amazed that you've turned to a different gospel, which is not another. There isn't such a thing as a different gospel. When we go from religious group to religious group to religious group, we ought to be able to ask people, what are the facts of the gospel? And we ought to get the same answer because God's given us a message. When we ask questions like, what must I do to be saved? The commands of the gospel, we ought to get the same answer. There's just one authentic gospel. And Paul further argues in Galatians 1, 6 through 9 that nobody has the right to change the gospel even though we, the apostles, or an angel from heaven come and preach a different message to you, don't believe it. Because they are accursed, they are preaching to you a different message than the one the king delivered. There's one gospel, and the one gospel is for all. As a matter of fact, to believe a different gospel is to depart from God and to fall from grace. Galatians 5 verse 4, Galatians 1 verse 6. We cannot change the message because of the implications of changing the message. There's only one gospel. There's only one king. And he's given us a message to share with the world. And if we change that message, not only are we being disloyal to the king, we are going to depart from God ourselves and we're going to lead others astray. You ever wonder why there are so many different churches all claiming that they follow Jesus? You ever wonder why that's the case? there are different gospel messages being preached. And yet the Bible reminds us, do not change God's message. Do not change the gospel. The implications are eternally serious. With that in mind this morning, let me share with you some facts and commands and promises that God does not want us to change. Facts about the gospel, commands about the gospel, and promises that God says are essential. Let's turn our attention first this morning to some facts. The facts, what are the basics? What are some things that God wants us to embrace and to believe from his word? These are gonna come at you kind of quickly. If you have trouble writing things fast, you might just jot down the scripture references. Or I've seen people do this. If you just wanna hold up your cell phone and take a picture when I get to the end of the slide, that's okay too. I'm okay with that, that's fine if you wanna capture the message that way. Whatever you would like to do. But these are coming to you kind of quickly. There are some facts that we should not assume that people just know. For example, the facts of the gospel involve things like the eternal nature of Jesus. The fact that he is God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. 
Nothing was created that was not created through Christ, it says. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is a fact of the gospel. And there are several religious groups that do not believe in the eternal nature of Jesus. But not only do we believe that, we also believe in the humanity of Christ, that Christ took on flesh and he became one of us. In 1 John 4, verses 1 through 3, John says, Do not believe every spirit. Anyone that says that Jesus did not come in the flesh is not of God. That is a fact that is fundamental to the gospel, and you can't be a Christian, and you can't please God without believing that. Facts of the gospel, they're essential. The deity of Christ, the fact that he is God. Thomas said, his own apostle, my Lord and my God, John 20, verse 28. It's a fact. He is God in the flesh. The love of God is a fact of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves people. He loves you. In Romans 5, verse 8, God has shown, he has manifested his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But not only does God love us, he is a God of holy wrath. God is angry because of sin. And brethren, there is a day in the future which is called a day of wrath, a day which is stored up and God will pour out his unbridled wrath upon this world and upon all those who do not obey the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 9 and 10, Paul wrote to his Christian brethren and said, because you believed and trusted in Christ, you have been saved from wrath. You know, sometimes we think about salvation as being saved from our sins, and that's one way the Bible describes it, but the Bible also says we are saved from the wrath of God because of what Jesus has done for us. God is going to have to deal because of his holy nature with sin through his wrath. The facts of the gospel include the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, Paul writes that he delivered to his brethren that which he also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried and was raised again on the third day, according to the scriptures. These are facts and they must be believed. You can't be a Christian and say, I don't believe Jesus really died for me. I don't believe he really rose from the dead. You can't. These facts must be believed in order to be pleasing to God, in order to be right with him. The authority of the apostles' words is a fact of the gospel. The fact that God put his authority into the writings of the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 14, 37, when Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians, he said, those who are spiritual, let them acknowledge that the things I write to you are from God. These things come from God himself. These are not the opinions of men. And we can't read 1 Timothy and 1 Corinthians and say, well, Paul was just a product of his culture and those things are not really authoritative. Those things don't really mean what they seem to mean. Paul was just giving us his perspective from his point of view in history. These words come from God himself. Ephesians 3, 3 through 6 Paul writes about the gospel and says, the things that I've delivered to you, I've shared them with you so that you can have the same understanding of the gospel that I have. The writings of the New Testament, brothers and sisters and friends, they came from God. If you want to ask the question, well, which words are inspired and which ones are not? They're all inspired 
2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. And these facts are essential, are crucial. There are more than just what I've got on the screen, but I just want us to understand we're going to part company with a number of our religious neighbors just based on the things on the screen behind me. And yet those things are plainly and clearly set forth in the Word of God. The facts. When you talk to your friends and your neighbors about the message that God has given us, don't forget to talk about the facts and don't assume that just because somebody says that they believe in Jesus and they want to follow him, don't necessarily assume that they know what they need to know about the facts of the gospel. Second, this morning, as we think about the message that God's given us, what about the commands of the gospel? If the message, the good news of Jesus Christ has to do with facts, God loves me and he wants to save me from wrath and he sent Jesus to die for me. And because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, I can have life with him. And I know that I can follow him because of the authority of the apostles' words. Those are facts. What does God want me to do? What does he want you to do? Think about what God has clearly indicated in Scripture. God wants everybody, including you, to believe. Unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. John 8, verse 24. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10, verse 17. God wants everyone to have faith in what Jesus has done and the message that's revealed through Scripture. God also commands all men everywhere to repent. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. We are to turn away from our sins, repent and be baptized. Acts 2, verse 38. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Luke 13, verse 3. To turn away from the way I've been living so that I can please God and walk in his way. It's one of the commands of the gospel. Good news. God is showing you a better way to live. Change. Repent. Another command of the gospel, the confession of Jesus Christ as Lord. In Romans 10 verses 9 and 10, the, the Bible says, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And one of the things that God expects every one of us to do, if we would be a Christian, is to speak with our mouths and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is God's son. It's essential. It's part of the gospel. Baptism. Why do we emphasize baptism? Because so many of our religious neighbors say that baptism is not essential. It's not really part of the gospel. You can be saved without it. Oh, you need to do it to obey God, but it's certainly not essential for salvation. And yet when the Bible describes baptism, literally, here's what it says. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Galatians 3.27. He makes a connection between being baptized and putting on Christ. How can we read the passages about baptism in the New Testament and come to any other conclusion than that is the point at which we are saved. That is the point at which we come into contact with the saving blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 3 through 6, baptism is a death to sin, a burial with Christ in the water, and a raising to walk in newness of life, just as Christ was raised from the dead. It puts the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ right next to what's happening to us in baptism. And somebody comes along and says, well, baptism isn't really all that important. It's not essential and you can go to heaven without it. We are preaching a different gospel 
Yet that's our position and that's our attitude because that's not what the New Testament teaches. Commands of the gospel, holy living. Be holy for I am holy, says the Lord. God expects for us who follow him, he expects for us to live holy lives. Holiness means that we are separate from sin and devoted to what glorifies God. And this has to do with all sorts of moral issues, the way we relate to others, the way we relate to God, the way that we treat others. All those things are wrapped up in the idea of holy living. Be holy for I am holy, says the Lord. Commands of the gospel. But not just those. Worship. When we become Christians, one of the responses of someone who has been saved by God is I want to praise God. I want to worship him because I realize what he's done for me. I've got a sense of what God has done at infinite cost to himself to save me from my sins. And my response naturally is to worship God. And Jesus said this, those who worship God must not should, not might, must worship God in spirit and in truth, John 4, verse 24. Whatever you would do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. A lot of people want to change the king's message regarding our worship, the way we worship and why we worship, those kinds of things. The Bible has given us a clear, definitive pattern for how to worship God. It's part of the commands of the gospel. We start changing those things. We start changing what God has given us in the message and suddenly we're preaching something different from what God intended. How about the nature of the church? There are a lot of people that have written and said a lot of things about the church that you read about in the Bible, but there is no substitute for going back to scripture and looking and seeing exactly what God has done. Passages like Ephesians chapter two, verses 14 through 21, speak about the unity of the church, the oneness of the church. Did you know that God intended for there to be just one church? Many different congregations, like this is a congregation of God's people, but, but just one church. And the idea in the scriptures, if you read the New Testament, is that you can go from a place like this to another place that's meeting and you could hear the exact same message because we believe the same facts and we believe the same commands and we believe the same promises because it's all written down and spelled out for us. And we're saying the same thing, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. That's God's ideal. Many different congregations all speaking together the same thing. So you don't have to wonder as you walk in the doors, I wonder what these people are going to say about Jesus. I wonder if they believe he's God. I wonder if they believe in the authority of the apostles' words. I wonder if they believe that baptism is essential for salvation. You don't have to worry about that if we're doing it God's way because the church is the body of Christ and Jesus has reconciled all men to himself in the church. It's part of the gospel commands. And not only that, but going along with the nature of the church is this concept of one another Christianity. Listen to what I'm about to say. You cannot be a faithful Christian without practicing one another Christianity. And there are multitudes of passages in the New Testament that tell us how to interact with one another. There are a lot of people that say, 
I'm a Christian, I, I just don't have any use for organized religion. I'm, I'm a Christian, I don't have any use for um, the, the church. And, and I can be a Christian all by myself, and I have a ministry and a mission all by myself, but I don't need the church. The Bible says you ought to be hospitable to one another. You ought to love one another. You ought to be kind to one another. You ought to be forgiving of one another. The Bible says we ought to assemble with one another. And you can't do all those commands without the church. Part of the commands of the gospel, the good news, is that God adds us to a community. He adds us to a family. When you are born again in baptism, you become part of a family of believers. And if we start saying that the family's not important, if we start saying that the community's not really all that essential to my salvation, how are you gonna do most of what the New Testament commands us to do? How are you ever gonna do that? Who is my brother and where are the people that I'm supposed to love? The commands of the gospel involve one another Christianity. Brethren, the commands of the gospel have to do with every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Acts 20, verse 27, the apostle Paul said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Matthew 4, verse 4, we are to listen to all that God has said and spoken in his word. The commands of the gospel, God has expectations. And none of these expectations have anything to do with earning or meriting our salvation. These expectations have to do with showing ourselves to be the children of God who have been saved by the blood of Christ. I want to obey the gospel so that I can have the salvation that Jesus provides. And I wanna live for him as a servant, as a slave every day, a slave of God and a good slave listens to his master's voice and a good slave obeys. That's what we wanna do as the people of God, the commands. You start messing with the commands, you're messing with the gospel itself. Think about that. What about the promises of the gospel? I'll share five of these. There are more than five, but for time's sake, five promises that God makes in the good news, in the gospel. How about this? God says, if you'll come to Christ, you will find remission of sins. I love that word remission. It's a word we use for cancer patients. When you've finally been treated for cancer and there's no evidence that it's ravaging your body any longer, the doctor will say, you are now in remission. It's gone. And God says, you can have that kind of relationship with him. You can have remission of sins. What's the condition? Repent and be baptized, the conditions, the commands of the gospel. But the promise is unbelievable. Why are you waiting? Acts twenty two sixteen. Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. We are promised that God will forgive our sins. Not only that, the promises of the gospel have to do with the resurrection of the dead. Whenever there's a funeral, whenever there's a time when we sorrow over someone who we've lost, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 ought to come to our minds because the Bible says there is a day when the dead in Christ will rise and they are gonna rise first and we who are left alive are gonna be caught up together with them and we're gonna meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. That's what the Bible teaches. The resurrection of the dead. When we die, that's not the end of the story. 
The gospel makes some wonderful, amazing promises. And by the way, that will cause us to rearrange our entire life. I'm not gonna live my life the way I was living before because I'm gonna spend eternity somewhere. The resurrection of the dead is a real thing. And I wanna get ready for that day when I meet the Lord in judgment. The providence of God is a promise of the gospel. Come to Jesus, trust him, walk with him, follow him in your life. And God promises that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are the called according to his promise. When we decide to follow Jesus, God can use the circumstances and events and the people in our lives to work together for good. That doesn't mean that life is easy. It doesn't mean that life is is flawless and never hurts. What it means is the things that we experience, God can use for our good to make us more like Jesus, which is his whole entire goal in our lives. Matthew 6.33 promises us, if you just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the things you wear, the things you eat, those things that we worry about, those will be added to you. God will take care. Don't worry about tomorrow. Sufficient for today are its own troubles, Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 6.34. Those are promises of the gospel. The promises of the gospel have to do with things like this, the present kingdom of God. Jesus came to be a king. He wasn't going to be a king on anybody else's terms, but his own. And when he died and was resurrected, the Bible says he's been exalted as king to the right hand of the throne of God. He is presently reigning over a kingdom. And Colossians 1.13 tells us that when we're baptized, we are transferred out of darkness into the kingdom of his, his dear son, the son of his love. We are transferred into the kingdom of God when we become Christians and we are citizens of heaven, Philippians 3 verse 20. We are part of a a, a heavenly brotherhood. We are under his rule. We are submissive to his authority. The fact that the kingdom is here, it's here now, and we can be a part of that kingdom, that is a part, an essential part of the gospel. Think about it. John the Baptist came and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus came and said the same thing, Matthew 4, 19, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They both were preaching the kingdom of God. Are we really going to say that Jesus didn't fulfill what he said was about to happen, what he said was at hand? When he said in Mark 9, verse 1, some of you are standing here and you will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come with power. We can be a part of the kingdom right here and right now. It's a promise that the gospel makes. And then the day of judgment for all. There's a great day coming. There's a sad day coming. There's a day in which God will judge the world in righteousness. Paul said those words to a bunch of pagan philosophers in Athens, Greece in Acts 17, 30 and 31. God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness and he's guaranteed that day will happen by raising his son Jesus from the dead. You and I will one day stand before our maker. We will one day give an account for how we've lived our lives. We will one day give an answer. What did you do with Jesus? The promises of the gospel. Can I just say, when you think about the gospel and the facts and the commands and the promises, it's important to realize all three of these components are essential in our understanding. The facts have to do with what God has done and how God feels about things. The commands have to do with my response. And the promises, the promises are the motivation. 
The things that God promises, forgiveness of sins and a fellowship of brethren and things like those promises are the motivation. I want to serve God because of these things and many more promises like them. Brothers and sisters and friends, before I close, watch this. God has given the world a message and the message is plan A. There is no plan B. There is no other gospel by which people can be saved. The New Testament is clear about that. Secondly, God does not require your counsel or mine. He does not require your assistance or mine. God has designed the plan. Our task is not to change the plan, but just to declare it, to tell people, if the name of the Savior is precious to you, will you not tell it today? We just sang a few moments ago. God's given the world the plan. Our task is merely to share it. He doesn't require our counsel and assistance. Summing all this up, we're not to change the message. The message is supposed to change us. And when you and the message have a conflict, when there's a command or a fact or a promise that are made and you say, I don't know if I believe that, I don't know if I'm gonna do that, the message is supposed to change you, not the other way around. If you find a way to change the message, you have just become an unfaithful prophet, an unfaithful spokesman for God. And woe to those who live in such a way. God has given us the good news. Do not change the message. If we can help you obey the gospel this morning, if we can help you to come to Christ, or if we can pray for you and pray with you, won't you make your need known while together we stand and while we sing?